Hi, I'm Rebecca Weicht, researcher at the Institut für Mittelstandsforschung in Bonn. We and the SMEs have been living with COVID for two years now, but what can we learn from the pandemic for future challenges such as digitalization or sustainable management? We talked to Ute Stefan, Professor of Entrepreneurship at King's College in London in the UK and Professor Welter, Professor of Business Administration, SME Management and Entrepreneurship at the University of Siegen in Germany. She's also head of the Institut für Mittelstandsforschung Bonn here in Germany. We also heard from Alfredo de Massis, Professor of Entrepreneurship and Family Business at Freie University in Bozen, Italy and Professor Arnis Sauka from Stockholm School of Economics in Latvia. The copyright for the sound recordings is held by the European Commission. Professor Veta, when you're looking at your research findings on the developments in the wake of the pandemic, how has COVID impacted small and medium-sized enterprises? And what role does the development play in terms of future challenges such as sustainable management? First, the adaptiveness of many SMEs is really encouraging and astonishing. In Germany, for example, we already see increasing startup figures. We see low liquidation rates. Um, I'm not talking insolvency, but liquidation rates. Um, there may be a bit of slack and time lag, so we may see an, a slight increase in that. Way. We don't expect that. Resilience is a key here, um, and it's the interplay of environmental, for example, sectoral factors, personal factors, for example, the willingness um, of the entrepreneurs and company-related factors, which makes it really difficult for SME policymakers because that means that we actually, in the project, we came up with individual resilience profiles. The second issue is the digitization push, which is quite important also for the transition, the sustainable transition, and also to make SMEs competitive in the future. Um, we see a real push, in, especially also in smaller companies, um, which have recognized the high importance of digitization. 60% now compared to 40% five years ago say this is of high importance. There is a slight back turn here because we still have a, too many latecomers to digitization. We still have a large number of, especially the very small companies, 52% of those with under 50 employees actually are latecomers to digitization. And we also have a high number of first-time users, especially pronounced the smaller the company, not surprising because they may lack resources on all levels. However, digitization is required. It's an entry into more complex um, future technologies, like, for example, artificial intelligence. And it's also a requirement to kind of um, grapple with um, sustainable enterprise um, change. The third point, um, what we've learned from our research, SME support measures. Um, most government, especially also the German one, actually um, brought out a large number of support measures to sustain SMEs throughout the COVID pandemic. This is a double-edged sword because in the short run and also in the medium run, it definitely saved companies, it definitely saved jobs and employment. But in the medium term, let's say longer term, um, it distorted competition, it blocked structural change. It of course also raised national debts and that may be potentially restricting those public investments which are needed for a sustainable and green transition. Professor De Massis, and what has changed in the last two years? What topics are you currently researching and why? I think one of the you know, uh, important things that have changed in this last year 
and probably you know during the evolution of the pandemic is that uh, the emotional and in many cases also physical vulnerabilities of firm actors of SMEs actors of any firm actors have led to uh, tensions between economic-centered utilities and society-centered ones. So I think one of the legacy of this uh, pandemic is the fact that uh, you know, society-centered goals, society-centered objectives have become more and more prominent in the decision-making processes of organizations. And this, of course, means uh, you know, uh, new challenges because, for instance, uh, SMEs leaders, uh, SMEs owners, entrepreneurs are called to manage new kinds of trade-off. Think about the trade-off, you know, between health and wealth, life and livelihood, or you know, business utility versus society utility. Now, one of the areas where I'm currently working is uh, trying to understand how such society-centered goals uh, really are changing the way. Uh, individuals within organizations and organizations make decisions, uh, understanding, you know, uh, how, uh, what, under what circumstances and when this kind of society-centered goals prevail over the business-centered ones, whether this is ultimately beneficial or not. A second important thing that changed, you know, with the evolution of this pandemic, uh, or in the aftermath of it, uh, although I'm not really sure that we are in a post-pandemic uh, phase yet, but it's for sure um, the thing that, uh, you know, the economic downturns, the cash challenge, the liquidity issues that many, especially SMEs, have been uh, suffering, have been experiencing during this pandemic, have increased the salience of asset and liquidity issues, especially for SMEs and for family firms that, as we know, are the backbone of uh, Europe's economy. And so, you know, uh, this means that uh, if, uh, you know, in a pre-pandemic world, uh, probably we were sort of allowed to give for granted, uh, you know, asset and liquidity issues, now I think we have to pay attention to this. And paying attention to these uh, patrimonial aspects means, uh, you know, going beyond uh, the operational businesses when we think about entrepreneurial activity, uh, which means, you know, taking into account more the perspective of the owners, taking into account more, you know, uh, the assets that uh, uh, entrepreneurs and enterprising families really own. and means, uh, you know, ultimately also uh, paying attention to a number of entities that are not necessarily operational businesses, but are very important. Think about, you know, the corporate museums, uh, the corporate academies, the family offices, uh, you know, the, the holdings uh, that many families across Europe uh, uh, create and establish. All these uh, uh, organizations are somehow important because they are at the interface between an entrepreneur or an entrepreneurial family and these assets. And I think, you know, uh, paying attention to this will be very important. Last, uh, I think that, uh, you know, an important change also relates to the fact that we are in the process of facing a massive way of generational transitions across Europe. And we know that lots of SMEs will be handed over to the next generation of millennials in a new phase where, as Professor Welter has already mentioned, the new world will be digital, right? There will be physical processes, but also, you know, digital ones. 
And so this will be a new scenario where more stamina will be needed, more ideas, uh, probably more complex one. And so I think another area which keeps me busy is trying to understand what really will constitute a successful succession, a successful generational transition, and how can we ensure such successful transition to the next generation? Because this is, in my view, really vital, very important in order uh, you know, to ensure a sustainability for Europe. We talked about enterprises, but how did the COVID pandemic impact entrepreneurs, Professor Stefan? What kind of personal support do they need? SME owners are human beings, so they struggle also with their personal well-being. So we saw across the board a 12% drop in well-being of entrepreneurs. And you may say that's maybe not as much. It's actually quite significant because we know that personal well-being underpins the persistence in entrepreneurship. We had in our you know, study participants, our, the entrepreneurs who we spoke to had heartbreaking stories of basically being so stressed by the crisis that they couldn't any longer sleep and that they in the end actually gave up their business, not because it wasn't any necessarily no longer viable, but because they couldn't deal with the stress any longer. So how can we equip entrepreneurs and build tools to actually, you know, Uh, help them through phases like that, but also kind of set a base for helping them to look after their well-being and self-care, because that's often something that, you know, um, is not seen as a priority. But I think the pandemic has shown all of us that mental health is something that we need to cultivate and look after rather than just take for granted. And that's my last point. Well-being is really important for the business side, because if you're, let's say, just shortcut happy, you're much more likely to link to think long-term. So you're much more likely to develop innovations that um, cater to sustainability, to inclusion and so forth. And uh, you're much more likely to be also open for more diverse ideas. So we have really good evidence that all of this goes hand in hand. So if you want a resilient, inclusive, sustainable, green SME sector, I think we need to acknowledge that you know there's much more going on Uh, running a business in the financial side, there's space for other ideas alongside social contributions, and there's a need to look after and cultivate well-being. What are your policy recommendations in view of the economic impacts of COVID-19 and in view of the Green Deal challenge, Professor Veta? The task for policymakers um, here, and my first point, uh, there's one precondition move away, at least partly, from this pandemic mode, actually issuing more and more um, rapid um, support measures um, aimed at stability towards aiming the policies at fostering innovativeness, competitiveness of SMEs, keeping into mind that this is a very heterogeneous um, sector. There is a caveat here um, I want to mention. This requires a policy mindset and a public mindset that also let go of companies which actually cannot survive in the long run or which are also maybe not willing to adapt. I know this is difficult to say. It's an economist talking here. So the recommendation may be actually um, en enable SMEs to invest again. So that means facilitate access to finance to, for SMEs to stem so that they could stem investments in new technologies and in those technologies or in, in those um, processes, they need to um, cope with a greening um, economy and climate change. Um, my second and third point are related. Um, they are um, related um, to SME policies. Um, this second point um, has to do with 
that we need a bigger shift towards developing regulatory frameworks or reporting frameworks with SMEs needs in mind. That sounds may sound obvious, but let me briefly explain what I mean here. The study I just mentioned also shows when it comes to SMEs that the majority of them, when it comes to, let's say, climate change policies, what they prefer is economic measures, emission trading, that's 63%, or informal instruments, for example, voluntary commitments that you actually report on something or commit yourself. A minority only actually was in favor of regulatory requirements or information. Um, that means more reporting. Um, what the EU does at the moment sometimes contradicts what SMEs want. Let me explain that using the example of the new um, EU regulation, the ESG regulation. Of course, SMEs at the moment are not asked to report only if they want to. So they are exempted from mandatory disclosure when it comes um, to sustainability information. And the proposals for simplified disclosure rules for SMEs won't be expected before 2023. However, this does not reflect the reality of very many SMEs because there are two major actors which already have to report right away. And those are the larger companies and those are banks and financial institutions which have to implement the ESG regulations. And what we know from talking to um, banks, for example, financial institutions, that they will have to ask SMEs to implement that reporting before they are officially asked to report. The same will happen with respect to larger companies. When you think of SMEs in a global value chain, they actually will be required to provide such information much earlier than is intended. So the task for policymakers here is a really tricky one. It's not just reduce, simplify, adapt standards and reporting requirements, but rather think through, okay, and not let Let's not have two or three years after we introduce a regulation, a simplified regulation for SMEs, but right at the beginning, think about um, how can we implement regulations that are not just aimed at larger companies and we downscale them to, um, to be um, okay for smaller companies, but basically kind of um, think differently, put the SMEs first, like the European Union does, but really um, walk the talk here as well. And my last point very quickly, and I think I'm repeating myself here because I may have said that last year as well, SMEs policies are not policies which just need to be done in, let's say, um, an economic ministry or um, considered as economic policies. They are cross-sectional policies. We've seen that through the pandemic when all of a sudden health policies, health regulations impacted on economic business, the business activities of SMEs. And I think that is something which needs to be taken into account, especially now when we're thinking of um, greening, of sustainability, um, of um, different environmental policies. Professor Damasis, is there anything you would like to add to Professor Walter's recommendations? I think, you know, uh, there is a, a need to really favor the establishment of uh, values around work, of new values in many cases around work. What does it mean? It means that um, in this uh, particular uh, context, chrono context, it's, uh, it will be particularly important for instance, to um, favor uh, the establishment of purpose-driven organization. I mean, purpose and value, purpose, which is, uh, by the way, the reasons why an organization is created and exists, its meaning and direction, and the values uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an entrepreneur and or of an uh, organization 
can be um, key mechanisms to transform the emotional reactions experienced in the in the last few years, uh, you know, into a propelling force for innovation. And so I think it will become more and more important to pay attention to this, to pay attention to such purpose, and also to conceptualize, to consider that, you know, uh, organizations, uh, entrepreneurial activities, entrepreneurial initiatives have also social emotional goals besides the, um, the financial ones. So moving away from uh, uh, the consideration of only financial goals for organization is one important thing. A second uh, important uh, recommendation, in my view, refers to uh, favoring a more holistic understanding of value creation. I mean, value creation, which is, of course, you know, is related to the previous point, but it's different because value creation really goes beyond the operational businesses. And, you know, if we look at Europe, uh, as Professor Welter has already said, when we think about, uh, you know, initiatives and measures and policy recommendations for entrepreneurship, we have to really be inter, uh, you know, disciplinary. It's something that definitely goes beyond the mere economic aspects. And here, you know, uh, I'm thinking about the importance that the past, the heritage, the history of uh, that we have, uh, you know, the traditional values of the past, the history of organization that we have in Europe will be particularly important because uh, all these, uh, uh, you know, uh, golden aspects coming from the past uh, will play an important role as in a very uncertain era, you know, they will act as a sort of compass or may act as a sort of compass to orient the actions of uh, the different stakeholders uh, during this uncertainty. By the way, this is also what emerged from a research that we published as a, as a policy brief uh, with the, for the European Commission uh, recently. Uh, lastly, I think that the third important aspect refers to, uh, again, considering that uh, sustainability also means, uh, as I said, uh, being able to ensure generational transitions. And here, I think that, uh, you know, we have to, uh, we have to consider that um, millennials, the millennial generation is, uh, is very different from the previous one. So we need policies that can uh, give to them uh, the right opportunities, uh, you know, to take over uh, their businesses or to start their own ones. And also, you know, as already has been mentioned before, we have also to consider that uh, the future is a sort of blend between uh, traditional physical, uh, you know, business model and new digital ones. And in this, uh, you know, new digital world, again, uh, there is uh, a need uh, to design policies that, for instance, might help organization to uh, reconsider and redesign their working processes uh, so as uh, uh, you know, to allow this uh, coexistence of physical and digital aspects. Uh, that we need uh, policies that allow the next generation to express itself, its enthusiasm when it comes to digital technologies, but at the same time also allow the previous generation to you know, uh, let this happen, which means, you know, creating the conditions for reassuring them that, uh, you know, the risks can be somehow limited. So I think, you know, these are three uh, important uh, areas where uh, policy recommendation should, uh, should arrive soon. What change will you see in the aftermath of the pandemic, Professor Sauka? 
I have a feeling that uh, in general, not much will happen when it comes to the development of the uh, enterprise economies in general, if we do not focus on, uh, on these two uh, issues, the human capital and the, and the Green Deal. Uh, you know, when it comes to the human capital development, uh, I mean, of course, we, we know as researchers that uh, many SMEs uh, do not even intend and want to grow, and that is fine for economies, they still contribute to the, to the economies, uh, right? But uh, on, on the other hand, we, we also know that uh, small countries such as Latvia, but also European Union uh, versus the other regions of the, of the world cannot really compete uh, much longer with, uh, with a cheap uh, labor or with uh, no value added uh, products uh, without uh, innovativeness, productivity. And, and these, are, uh, these are things that come with the development of the, of the human capital, obviously, right? The second thing, the, the Green Deal, uh, well, I think we have already said everything very nicely about the uh, importance of the SMEs themselves to know why they are doing this, what is the sort of the benefit for, for them also to do this, uh, to involve in the, in the Green Deal. And, 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 and here, as I already mentioned before, uh, some more information would be needed in, in a way that also uh, entrepreneurs would, uh, would, would understand. It's after all the rational choice where which entrepreneurs quite usually follow. It would also be good to avoid situations when uh, the owner of SME uh, from countries such as Latvia go to the sort of you know the, the developed uh, uh, industrial country and sees that you know there is uh, nothing uh, the, nothing that happens that reminds uh, the Green Deal strategy. So the world that talk uh, uh, is also important um, um, here. And, and finally, um, well, I think it's quite inevitable that uh, these will be the policy makers or the private uh, public uh, the public sector that will very much be uh, responsible for implementing or at least coordinating of the implementation of the green deal in in the european union uh, countries and in european union in in general and uh, in this light at least from the place i'm located uh, we see that uh, uh, again and I, I would dare to say this that that the policy makers would need to learn to work more entrepreneurially themselves. They would need to uh, work to, to, to make uh, faster decision-making, to, to also to rely much more on the, on the expertise of the experts, which, is, which has not been the case always with the COVID-19 situation in Latvia, at least, and as far as I know, also in, in, in other countries. And, and here again, we, we come back to the... Uh, development of human capital, not only talking about uh, companies, entrepreneurs and people in general, but also the, the policymakers themselves. Because otherwise, you know, uh, we've seen quite a lot, uh, and it's not just about the uh, entrepreneur ecosystem mm -hmm. or, or the Green Deal. It's it's about all the sort of reforms or developments we are talking about that should be you know, implemented on a, on, on a complex sort of uh, uh, level. Uh, we're talking about the healthcare sector development, we're talking about the education uh, and science development, and many, many other uh, sectors that needs development in, in, in all countries in, in, in the European Union, just depending on, on, the, on, on, on sort of the stage where they are. So, you know, we've seen quite often that it's, these are not the good ideas. Advice from European Commission or advice from the panels like this or advice from anyone else, but, but this is the 
So this is the ability of the of the people who are actually uh, implementing these issues to, to implement that or not. So, so 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 this is this is where we return to the necessity of development of the of the human capital also on the on the policy makers. Thank you very much for your interesting contributions. We look forward to learning more about your future research findings on SMEs and entrepreneurship.